Welcome into the Hots and Audibles podcast uh, post-game edition. I'm Matt Pre, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Wrapping up Oregon's Friday Night Lights football game against Colorado. Improves to 5-1 and one on the season. 3-0 and oh in Pac-12 play. Ducks win 45-3. to three. Uh, A game in which it was 7-3 at the end of the first quarter. Um, Oregon then goes on to score... What is that? 38? 38 straight points. That's a lot. Uh, Colorado has a couple opportunities in red zone, in scoring situations. Right. Missed field goal, turnover. Uh, they had another turnover. They had a couple loss of downs. I don't know where to begin because this was a heck of a performance offensively by Oregon. Balanced attack. 252 yards on the ground. They threw for 275. They had over 500 yards total offense. They averaged 7.4 yards per carry. They scored 45 points, and yet the defense once again dominates. Yeah. Colorado has just 299 yards of total offense. They had, I, I think, four turnovers in this football yep, game. They had four, four yeah. picks. Four picks. At this point in time, it's like, where do you begin? Because both. This was this was a complete game for Morgan. This is yeah, what we've been waiting for. It was for. their best game of the year. And, and, and I'm going to use the word you suggested I used. I was kind of flabbergasted by the, the end result because I'd predicted Oregon was going by 11 points, and they won by 42. And it wasn't really close after. Like, actually, right that last week, we should start there. The last the sequence, half, yeah. the last the sequence half, right yeah. before half was really crucial where Verone McKinley gets his first of two picks. We'll yep. talk about him more on the podcast. Oregon then goes the length of the field and scores a touchdown with 20 seconds uh, remaining in the yeah in the half, and that was a huge 10, 14 point swing, depending mm-hmm. on how you want to look at it. And then from there, Oregon really never looked back. And McKinley starts the second half, deflecting another Montez p- pass picked off by Bryson Young. I think the next series, McKinley picks off another pass. I mean, bro, McKinley three interceptions and five three, passes. Had, yeah, McKinley played a role in in three interceptions and five passes. It was his best game of the year, and it, it came in a game where. Couple key defensive players go down: Javon Holland, Troy Dye. Cristobal says after the game, they think those are pretty minor injuries. Yeah. Knocking on wood. wood, good news. But I mean, again, it's it's hard to know where to start. There's so many positive things. It was, like I said in the story I wrote tonight for Duck Territory, the most complete game by far of the season on both sides of the football. You know, there've been games this year where. The defense has been awesome, and the offense has kind of been mediocre. But this was a game where both sides of the ball were kind of equally dominant and, and impressive. And Justin Herbert, statistically, probably not his best game. 18 for 32, 261, a couple touchdowns, a handful of drops. I don't have any issues. I mean, no, no. I don't even know where to start. If you're, I guess penalties and a couple drop passes are like the only things that you could point to would be kind of disappointing. But I would argue that most of the penalties were iffy calls. I, yeah, it wasn't 100%, very clear. 100%. Like half of the penalties were bad bad calls. Yeah. Like they, we had, I think they had five PIs and four of them were really bad. Right. And even the fifth one was, yeah, well, it was yeah. okay. But, uh, I, yeah, it was a, what we're all saying is a, just a very well-rounded game. Uh, C.J. Verdell looked healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a bit of a question mark coming into the week, but he ran downhill. And Justin Herbert, like Eric said, didn't have his best game, but he made throws. On that uh, final drive of the first half, he had a beautiful ball to Michael, Micah Pittman, mm-hmm. 39 yards, yep. set the Ducks up in the red zone. And after they scored a touchdown, that was it. Mm-hmm. Colorado, the wheels had fallen off, and at that point they were done. Yeah, the game was won when 
Oregon scored their second touchdown of the game to go up 17-3. to And then Colorado answered with a 12-play drive that went 69 yards. But unfortunately for them, it ended with an interception by Verone McKinley. So that's a a 14-point swing because, like we've said, Oregon then responds with an 8-play drive of 80 yards in a minute and 7 seconds for a touchdown. And Probably so, the most impressive scoring drive of the season, in my opinion. Yeah. Just in terms of like running a two-minute drill effectively, that mm-hmm. was awesome. And and that those three possessions right there, that is what decided the game because Oregon scores to go up seventeen to three, and twenty-four to three. It, the next thing you know, it turns into twenty-four to three when Colorado should have had seven points, and it, it, it could be seventeen to ten, and Oregon maybe just kind of runs the the, the clock yep. out and. The, to end the first half, and when Colorado gets the ball to start the second, yeah, half. I mean it could have been that was a mo- that was a monumental play. That was the drive and the sequence that won this football game for Oregon. And I like the fact that you know for four straight drives, starting late second quarter to early third quarter, you know Oregon scored four straight touchdowns. They had a punt and then they scored again. And this was a game in which everything looked really really good. Now there is some bad news that comes with this is. There's injuries, and unfortunately for Oregon, you know they're starting to pile up at a position that there's not a lot of depth at. Jacob Breland is the tight end, Oregon's go-to receiver, I think, arguably statistically at least, mm-hmm. a top three or five tight end in the country. He's um, up there. He, he's make he's made himself a ton of money the way he played in his in Oregon's first five and a half games. Uh, to the point where CBS included him in the first round of, of, of a recent mock draft. Surprised and impressed with that. But unfortunately, in this game, uh, I think it was second quarter, first quarter, I think it was end of first, end yeah. of first quarter, he caught a pass and got hit. Uh, never returned. Jacob Breland's crystal ball says afterwards he's being evaluated. Don't really know what it is, but knowing and, and you know, re- talking to crystal ball post game yeah. and how he's kind of handled previous injuries. The big ones, when they don't have an answer and it's not good, they are very quick. They are very, you know, they don't try and talk about it much, and that's how he traded this one. Um, you, you get that feeling that this is going to be a significant injury. I agree. Yeah. Um, luckily for Oregon tonight, at least, didn't really impact, you know, the, the game. I mean, Hunter Campmoyer had a, a drop touchdown that they've run tons of times to Breland that he's caught multiple times, but Oregon ultimately scores, I think, on the next play uh, of that drive. But that injury tonight doesn't hurt Oregon, but now the question becomes, where does it hurt Oregon down the line? Because it's going to pop up eventually. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and before he came out, three catches, 53 yards yep. in the game's first touchdown. He was he was playing at a very high level, and you're right. I think that's – you celebrate the moment, but it's arguably Herbert's – he's Herbert's favorite target. Yep. I think it's pretty safe to say he's through the half, first half of the season. He's been his favorite target, so to lose him – for any extended period of time, and, and I, I agree with what you said there, because when Cristobal says he's being evaluated, that seems to be code word for, like, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. He's going to have some more testing. It's possible he's out for a long period of time. Looked like he had a brace on his left knee. Is that right, Jerry? Left knee, left yeah, knee. That's what I thought it was. Um, that he was on that could, be a, yeah. that could be potentially a season ender, or at the very least, a thing where he's out for a very long, like, you know, until maybe the last, maybe the Civil War. Right. Conference championship game if they get there a bowl game so um, this, that, that's a tough tough pull to swallow. This makes Micah Pittman, Juwan Johnson, and Brendan Schooler coming back mm-hmm. extremely important yep. because 
yes, Herbert loses his favorite target in Breland, but you know, I was three more to work with. Uh, I know Jawan Johnson, I think, had two grabs tonight, his first as a duck, and Micah Pittman had over, you know, he had over 50 yards receiving tonight, and he was huge. He had mm-hmm. that big catch on the final two-minute drive, and uh, they they go to Micah already in the clutch. Yeah. Uh, they were, that was there was a fourth-down slant. Fourth-down slant. It was fourth and short, and they just went right to him. Uh, he's got probably... Uh, tonight, at least, it was like the surest hands on the team, and so yes. I think he and Jalen Red, who had another exceptional game, are going to be Herbert's favorite options moving forward. I feel like Jalen Red kind of gets overlooked a lot, and tonight was one of his best yes. games. Four catches, seventy-five yards, a touchdown. Also had a rushing touchdown on kind of an end-around type play. Um, they've found ways to get him involved in the offense, and that's been great to see. I think all four of his catches were downfield, which is kind of unique. Most more than often, most often this season, he's been kind of in short yard uh, screens, uh, short underneath routes. That's kind of where they've used him. They, they kind of unleashed him a little bit down the seam a couple times tonight. Good to see him make some big plays. And you're right, though, it's going to be some guys are going to have to step up here. And at, at the tight end position, which has been big in the passing game all season, um, no other tight end caught a pass tonight. I don't know if anyone besides Cantmore was targeted. Um, that's a that's a significant significant yeah. loss. You kind of wonder where that's going to come from going forward. They're going to ask. I mean, I think Jerry brings up a good point of now that Juwan Schooler and Micah are back at the receiver position, they're going to have to move Spencer Webb back mm-hmm. to tight end. He he'd been working at the slot position as a receiver. That's how they've listed him the last couple of games. You know, because of necessity, because yeah. of injury. But now that those three guys are back. You have Daywood Davis. Lance Wilhoy is is getting closer to being back on the football field. Once these, you know, they, they have the bodies now, where I think they can at least maybe expand the packages with with Webb at tight end. Um, maybe this is an opportunity for Patrick Herbert. You know, he's going to have to play. Is he ready to play? That, that we don't Big know. Question. That. You know, those are going to you know, those are going to be that's a tough question that they're going to have to ask and and know mm-hmm. in the next you know couple days because they've got a really big game coming up where they're going to need someone to step up. Now, Hunter Campmore and Ryan Bay, they're, you know, Bay will probably start at, at tight end. You know, Hunter Campmore will probably remain a, a key guy, but and, and maybe the adjustment is, is you know, Bay and, and Campmore are out there on run plays, and when you want to have the threat of throwing the football, you just go four wide with the receivers that you have. Or we, we did see a couple times today too of two running backs. Yeah, we saw that quite a bit. Actually. And so maybe we see a little bit more of that using Felix and uh, Cyrus along with with Ferdell. I was going to transition and start talking defense, but I just wanted to say I thought this was the most creative they've been offensively in terms of different schemes and stuff. I thought it, honestly, and it like, paid off. It paid off. Right. And if you're an Oregon fan, I know Marcus Rose has been kind of the punching bag for a lot of people, and, and in some instances, probably rightfully so. But tonight, you don't have a lot to complain no. about. Honestly, and, and they scored 45 points, left points on the board, but the points were left on the board were because two touchdowns were dropped and a pass to Brian Addison was bobbled and, and he didn't come down with it in bounds yep. either. And uh, those are those are spots where points uh, you kind of were lost. What I was going to get to on the defensive side is just... Let's let's look at the injuries first. Injuries first? Well, yes. didn't, we, didn't we mention... We did not mention Troy Dye and Javon. I thought we did. Well, either way, uh, uh, Cristobal says that they're pretty minor. Which is really good Which news. Which is very good news. But uh, they're both, uh, it was actually, it was kind of a devastating play where both guys, like, probably your two best defensive players are down on the field after a play that on went for point. 20 yards. Yeah. And you're kind of going like, well, 
Oh, crap. That's not what you want. And uh, I think Holland was carted off. Guy returned briefly but didn't play at all in the second half. But it sounds like good news. Preliminary word from Cristobal is pretty minor. That's best-case scenario. It's kind of similar to C.J. Verdell last week where people were yeah, going, well, he got carted off. Yeah, Car- Verdell got carted off last week and looked and, totally and fine. Week. So, well and, and Oregon has an extra day this week because they played on a Friday, so that might be uh, an opportunity to get a little bit more rest. Not that a day necessarily means the world, but it, it can, depending on the injury with swelling and, and whatnot. Um, but hearing pretty minor for those two guys is huge. Those are, again, two of the key players on this defense, which I was going to transition to just Last five games, Oregon's opponents have scored six points, three points, six points, seven points, three points. That's 25 points in five games. That'll do. It's pretty good. It's hard to lose football games. <laughs> it's hard to lose football games playing like that. And yeah, when your offense has scored nine points. Or, or tonight, four, which yeah. is very hard to do in football. Three safeties would <laughs> be challenging. With this defense, defense maybe they went four to three football yeah. games. How many times? That might be a scoregami. You can look that one up. Um, I just learned that term recently, so I'm going to use it on the podcast. Um, that's the time there's a unique score in, a, in an NFL football game. So Thanks for explaining that one. Anyway, but just, just, for deep, for, just for deep football nerds, <laughs> I just learned about that. I followed him on Twitter. It's a fun Twitter follow. Uh, but, I mean, but what I was going to get at is just like when you have a couple of games where you hold the, def- the opposing team under 10 points, that's like a sign of really good defensive play. But when you string it together five straight weeks, you're legit. You're really legit, legit. And you're starting to like, I think I tweeted after the Stanford game, like when can we start talking about this defense kind of among the elite defenses? Uh, in program history, and I got a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's too early." They placed, you know, they didn't. Now it's not. It's now not. it's not. You're at the midway point of the season, and this defense is still absolutely lights out. Four turnovers forced against Steven Montez. I think entered the game with one or two picks on the two. entire season. Two on the entire season. Four tonight. Bro McKinley had a hand on you know, three, of three out of the four. Right. He played awesome tonight, um, and that's part of the thing. Is like Holland goes down, died as a play in the second half, and the opponent who's Statistically, at least, the best offense Oregon's face doesn't have any success. Right. And basically no success. Colorado came into the night averaging over 450 yards of offense per game, and they finished with under 300 tonight. And I think averaging... Scored three, uh, almost a little over 34, 35 points a game. 34.6, I think, yeah. And they come out with three. It's just tremendous. And the depth on this team is remarkable. Mm-hmm. We mentioned the Troy Dye injury and Javon Holland, and the replacements made immediate impacts. Yes. Hockey Woods came in to replace. First play. Javon Holland. First Ooh. play, boom. Hit someone right at the line. MJ Cunningham played well. Um, it's not it's not so much of you can basically replace everybody on this on this defensive front, but it's getting to that point where the, the true and redshirt freshmen that come in and play play very well and hard. I think it, it's attributed a lot to Andy Avalos' coaching. Uh, this team is very disciplined. I know the penalties might not look like it, but... Mm-hmm. They're very disciplined. They make gang tackles where everybody is there to tackle, and I, there's not enough words to really talk about. Ten tackles for loss. I was just going to yeah. say. You I mean, look, that's just ridiculous. Well, that, and that's been like the that, the ten tackles for loss, eight quarterback hits, only two sacks, which is slightly lower than I think maybe we expected, yeah. although Colorado allowed five all season coming in. But, like, they make so many plays behind the line of scrimmage. And I think their, that's, their reads tonight were phenomenal. Yeah. Isaac Slade and Matuatia had... Samson New had nine tackles, and right. a lot of those were near the line of scrimmage, too. There were there were two plays I remember specifically where Isaac Slade and Thomas Graham both read a quick out and yep. a screen mm-hmm. to the sideline and knocked, their def- knocked the offensive players down for three or five yards loss. And that's just unbelievable coaching. Cristobal talked about McKinley having an unbelievable mind for football, and a lot of this defense is 
just yeah, extremely like, small. I feel like you've got synonymous for a lot of these guys, and, and that again is super scary because they've got the physical tools clearly, but it seems like they just get it and they just seem to know what they just seem to know where yeah. to be and, and kind of read the plays better than most Oregon defenses I've seen. I mean, I, I still think like incrementally the offenses that Oregon's going to be playing in the next three weeks mm-hmm. is going to consistently get better. You know, this was the first one. This and you know, considering who they've played before to now, Colorado. You know, this was the best offense that they've played. They're going to play another team on next Saturday up in Seattle and Washington. That you know, this will probably be the best quarterback that they will have faced. You know, a, another first round draft so, pick. Could be a first round pick. Yeah, I got a, a lot of NFL scouts are, are saying as a first round pick. They've still got a very talented offensive line. So you know, and then the following week it's Washington State and that offense, and then the next week it's arguably the most probably the most talented team on paper in USC, and so. Each and every week, we're going to continue to learn a little bit more about this defense and how good they truly are. But, yeah, like I came in thinking, like, okay, Colorado's going to score. I, I had them scoring 28 points. I felt like that wasn't that Oregon's defense was overrated, but I wasn't really there with you saying this is, a, you know, arguably one of the better defenses in the last 20 years, 30 years of Oregon football. Ever. Ever. And now it's, you know, I think you, you have to start having that conversation just because – there is hardly any drop off from depth, you know, starter group to the second unit. And we saw that tonight multiple times on Oregon's side of the football field in the second half where Colorado got into Oregon territory and then all of a sudden the defense stoned up and, you know, created a wall and Colorado couldn't do anything. They either turned the ball over or they had a turnover on downs because, you know, Oregon's guys, I am continually impressed every week of how they make every open field tackle. Mm-hmm. It's it's like I am shocked that they when they do miss a tackle, it's like wow, they missed a tackle. Like that it's usually the other way around. Like Oregon's historically had to have you know rally to the football to make plays, whereas now it's the first guy that gets there, he's more than likely going to get the guy down, and if he doesn't get him down, he's gonna stop him at least so that everyone else can just kinda kinda tee off. And Jerry made a great point of you know Thomas Graham when he got beat on that Chenault Deep shot and Schnall got called, you know Thomas Graham got called for a pi which we all think was was, was probably was, was actually the fifth worst pi yeah <laughs> which, was, which was not a good call uh, that benefited Colorado but the very next play they ran a screenplay and right Thomas Graham was right there and wrapped him up and I, I think the development of this defense this second unit has pushed the first string guys to get better because they know if if they don't. They're going to lose their spot, and we're starting now to see that come to fruition of this group now has 22 starters instead of 11 because it's there's very little drop-off. And I was going to say, it comes across, even looking at the stats, top three tacklers on the team tonight, Samson, New, Brady, Breeze, Hockey Woods, none of those guys started today. None of those guys have started a game this season, I don't think. No. Um, that's just, Verone McKinley is the fifth. Yeah, Verone McKinley is right up there near the top as well. He's actually tied for fourth with Graham, Bryson Young, and Isaac Slate, so... This is a deep team, uh, a very talented team defensively, and and again, I feel like each week we're kind of like, ah, we're going to learn a lot about them, and, and I think at this point I'm just reserved to the fact that this is a kick-ass defense. Like Troy Dye, <laughs> Troy Dye the last three years has almost every year, every, every game, game, he's in the top two, top right. three of total tackles. If he's not leading the group, he's in the top two or three, and people are going to look at his stats at the end of the year and be like, wow, he had a really bad year as a senior, like he should have gone pro, like... No, like, no. he's playing really good football, but 
he doesn't have to cover up so many mistakes anymore. And he, you know, the defense doesn't have to just revolve around having him make all these plays. There's so many guys now that are making plays that are standing out, and we can't say enough good things about this group. They've wrapped up the season, or they've, they've wrapped up the first half of the season with a 5 and 1 record. Kind of like what we kind of all expected. Like, hey, they might beat Auburn and they'll be six and six and zero oh if they do that. If they don't, they're going to probably be five and one going into into Washington week, and it's going to set up a deal where it's going to be a game that that plays out for maybe the the lead in the North. And the way that the season has gone, Oregon could could go into Seattle next week with an opportunity of setting up a four game lead over the Huskies because mm-hmm. we're recording this on a Friday night. They have to go down to Arizona. A team that's first in the Pac-12 South. They have maybe one of the most dynamic players in the conference in Khalil Tate. And if Washington loses that football game, all of a sudden it's Seattle. The game up in Seattle shifts from being a clash of two teams competing for a conference championship to Oregon potentially could deliver the knockout blow to the Huskies of, of their chances of winning the North. Well, here's the weird thing, and Oregon fans are going to hate me saying this, they could lose that game and it wouldn't really matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's the other reality. Like, if Arizona beats Washington, like, Oregon could kind of go into Seattle and maybe lay a stinker, lose that game, and obviously that eliminates, the, like, the big picture playoff things. You're not making the college football playoff sure. that happens. But, like, and it wouldn't really impact the Pac-12 North no. race all that much. They it's like, oh, they lost. Game lead. Oh, they still have a huge edge on Washington. It's still two games. So, um, yeah, they're in, I mean... They're in a great spot right now. I mean, this is this is about as good as you could have scripted it. Just both sides of the ball seem to be playing at the best that they've played all season. The defense is so good that you really think that the offense really only needs to score two touchdowns and they're <laughs> yeah. going to win a game. And that's it's been right now, and I don't know if you can expect that all season, but I don't know. I, I, I kind of at a loss a little bit in terms of just describing this defense anymore. I mean, they, they're, yeah, just, they're, so dominant. To do they're it. just so dominant, and, yeah. and they're so good in every area. We were talking about how Troy died. Last year was always the leading tackler, the yeah. second leading. This year, it's every game. There's a new guy. Yes, and it's it's very impressive. Troy Dye might lead it, but then the next we have Samson tonight. We'll have Isaac Slade lead it, or Brady Breeze. He had six tackles tonight. Yep, and he's he was the Javon Holland replacement, and then that's just it. Just tells you how deep the, this team actually is, and there really aren't just enough words to describe it. I I, I think. If the only concern or question you have coming out of this football game is just going to be, what's the status of Javon Holland for, and Troy Dye for Washington? I mean, I, I, I think it's safe to say that Troy Dye probably will play because he came back yeah, after his injury, back. but he did play in the second half. Javon Holland, is, is he going to be out? Is he going to be limited? Is he going to be full goal? I think that's really – I mean, Breland – yeah, we don't know, but it's safe to kind of assume he's probably not playing he's next probably, week. I no. think you're not seeing him for a long time. Yeah. So that comes back to just kind of just what's the status of Javon Holland, and it goes back to my comment of like, yeah, it's going to hurt. It's going to be a sting. The defense is going to have to adjust. They're going to have to do some different things. But I still think even with him not playing against UW next Saturday, this defense should be fine. Like, it, you know, Holland shouldn't be the difference. And I'm not trying to diminish yeah, his play because he's a very good player. But that's how good this defense is playing right now, where they can absorb some of these, lo- you know, some of these kind of losses. You know, obviously you, you don't want, want Holland out for the long term, but right. maybe it's a one-week deal where they can get by without him. One thought here: I was just having Oregon didn't return a punt after Holland got 
dinged up, did he? Because that would be interesting to see the, the next part. Well, they, they had Delgado out there. Oh, that's right. Delgado the, was out there. The yeah, play didn't the count board. because of the fair catch that's interference. Right. Right. That's right. But okay. Delgado was number two, okay. I guess. I was, trying, I was trying to remember that. So that's kind of, I don't know, that's a small detail, but it kind of interesting. It could be interesting, yeah. Return job. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, another thought, I just thought the offensive line was tremendous. Yes. Yeah. They were very good. Uh, I know Dallas Warmack got hurt a little bit towards the end, and Brady Aiello filled in. But they were Panay Sewell especially was just my guy. manhandling people <laughs> up there. Nice. You don't see Officer Lyman no. get post game interviews, and he got one. And that's yeah, extremely that. impressive. And the running game showed it. CJ Verdell had 171 yards, I think, and by far his best performance of the year. By far, and frankly, he should have had a lot more. There were plenty of times where up from the press box, the seas parted, and Verdell would go by, but he would just be tripped up and. He has the worst luck of getting shoestring tackle. He does. Yes, I don't, every know, what, single I don't play. know what the explanation is there. Something's weird. He'll like go so many times yeah. every game. Like He'll go nine times. to ten yards and then boom, shoestring. And but again, this offensive line is unbelievable. Um, they running to Panay's side is almost unfair at this point, <laughs> and it sets up the screen game too because again, Panay is just so agile he that he can out get out there and, there and dudes. him against a, a cornerback, even a middle linebacker. No He's going to win that all day long. Real quick before we wrap it up, we should acknowledge the recruiting. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say. This was the way they played probably was like was perfect big. perfect scenario from a recruiting <laughs> standpoint because of the guys on campus. I mean, you've got Keely Ringo, a five-star cornerback, who's watching Thomas Graham and Diamine Lenore just – Strictly ball out. The and only then, thing he's probably frustrated is like, God, there's so, so many PIs in this conference. <laughs> if I go to the SEC, they won't be calling all these. Very true. Very true. Uh, but you had an Oregon secondary play really, really well against a really good competition uh, in Colorado's receiving core. Uh, Ringo probably walks away with seeing how they played. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. impressed. Very intrigued. Um, the environment here was terrific for a Friday night. I mean, it was from a picturesque setting perfect. It was great. Like, you, you you couldn't really say anything negative about the uh, atmosphere. Um, and then on the offensive side of the football, you, you had two four-star receivers here that are committed to SEC schools. Trayshawn Holden is a four-star receiver from Narbonne High School in Southern California, committed to Alabama. And then you had Jermaine Burton, a four-star receiver from Calabasas High School, uh, Former high school teammate of Micah Pittman, current high school teammate of Oregon commit and four-star wide receiver Johnny Wilson. Uh, he's committed to LSU. Both those guys are here. And seeing how Oregon spread the ball around, seeing how they took deep shots, seeing how guys were used within the offense, you can't help but notice that as a, as a receiver. And, yes, Herbert's not going to be here next year, but at the same time, you're kind of looking at just the overall scope of the offense and – Today was arguably maybe their best play calling day, you know, their best performance, and really, really good setting for from a recruiting standpoint. You you don't lose guys on losses in games, but you can certainly land commitments because of the way your team plays on a, on a on a particular weekend. Think back to Kayvon Thibodeau. Yep, and last year, yep. Uh, yeah, right after that game, after that, I watched them on the field celebrating, and I thought, man, there's a good chance they're going to get them, and they did. So uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Apples Podcast. Thanks for listening to tonight's show uh listen to us throughout the weekend and then uh it's it's husky week and we're gonna start getting you ready for that big game up in seattle uh so for jared for eric and myself matt thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon adios amigos